0: Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So, what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world.
1: There is so much we can-
0: If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manis Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode of Ideas That Change the World, Rabbi Manis Friedman talks with Hani Moleki
1: My name is Hani Moleki and I'm here in the studio with Rabbi Manis Friedman as a host, guest host, a long-term host. We'll see, we're taking an experiment today uh, to discuss com- different issues that Uh, pertain to the times that we're in and pertain to our relationship with uh, Hashem, with our own souls and and to our Yiddishkeit. So right now we're on Dalet Tishrei, that's the Hebrew day today, two days after Rosh Hashanah, right before Yom Kippur. So it's an extremely uh, opportune and special time in the Jewish calendar because during the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, it's a special time of a relationship, and I think that's the theme of these 10 days, uh, the relationship and the closeness and the getting back to our roots, getting back to our uh, source um, during these times. And it's a challenge for a lot of people because although in Jewish schools and in yeshivas we learn the uh, the base and we learn about the apple dip and the honey and we learn about the fasting, there isn't really a topic in Jewish schools or in yeshivas that actually deals with teshuva, with connecting to our souls, with connecting to our Yiddishkeit, with connecting to Hashem, and uh, that's one of the topics we like—I'd like to discuss with Rabbi Friedman today. You mean the yeshivas don't teach you how to be guilty? <laughs> <laughs> shortage of guilt? You know what? They, they, they don't. I, I, my experience in yeshiva didn't get a lot of guilt there. I just. Uh, I think I was just trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, we're learning all of these things, but how does it work? How do we apply it? Um, so Rosh Hashanah just came, and for many of us, we know about the king in the field, like the Hasidic concept, that uh, Hashanah is so close to us, and anything we ask for, he will do for us. All we have to do is reach out to him in the same way a person reaches out to a king who's right in front of him in the field. And the question, I think, that every person who hears this asks themselves, whether consciously or subconsciously, is, what, is it, what does that even mean? What does it mean the king is in the field? I mean, I understand the, the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the technical example of it, but how does that apply to my relationship with Hashem? Hashem is not a king in a field. It's, at least is not in Bowers Park over here or... In leopard's park, I don't see him in that field, and therefore my relationship can't be to him like a king in the field. What does it all mean, and how does that work for us on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Like, what are we supposed to do with this information? What does it even mean? Yeah, that's that's uh, (laughs) that's wherever you go, that's the question. See, they try to make it really easy. A king is in the field. Even a kid can understand that, but even an adult can't understand that. I read
2: something really interesting, it's disturbing, but interesting. Somebody wrote in, the, in a Jewish journal, somebody asked a question. It's a tradition on Lagba Omer to go to Meron, to the resting place of Shimon Bar Yochai, great siege. And uh, it's very traditional, it's been going on for a very long time, that you pray there and you ask whatever. So somebody wrote to this uh, journal, saying when, when people go to the resting place of a tzaddik, are they asking the tzaddik for a blessing, or are they praying to, to God in the merit of the tzaddik who was buried there, something like that? <clears throat> or are they asking the tzaddik to pray for them to God on their behalf?
1: Right.
2: The, or the, the rabbi, the authority on the subject, his answer was, how can you ask Rav Shem Mabar for a blessing? He's not alive. How can he give a blessing? He's not alive. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. For a simple reason. Okay. If Rav Shem is not
1: alive, is God alive? Um, I, I had a lot of questions about the story, but that's not one of them. <laughs> Go ahead. Why, why is that?
2: So what do you say? When he was in a physical body, he was alive. Right. And now that he's not in a physical body, he's not alive anymore. Right. God was never in a physical body. <laughs> At least you're sure your clay once was alive. Right. Is God
1: alive? How could you ask him for a blessing? Right. Well, I, I mean, look, what right. if I so we go to the Rebbe all the time, and we have this tradition of going to the Rebbe, etc. And I think that for us, we understand the, the going to a tzaddik as being... Um, that, that we're connecting with the soul of the tzaddik. You know, the soul of the tzaddik is, is present after death the same way during life. And that we're connecting with that as a conduit, as a, a tzaddik being a sort of a piece of Hashem almost. So we're not praying, God forbid to a tzaddik, but yes, we're used, asking the tzaddik to be an intermediary for us, which is, I, believe, I guess, the same thing for Shavun Vayi and, and uh, Rabbi Akiva and all the other people that people, the Ramadan people go to as well. For sure. That's a, that's a
2: tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. The question is not, why do you go to a tzaddik? The question is, what are you doing? If you're going to a tzaddik, while he's alive, while he's on earth, you go into the physical person or you go into the spiritual part of the person. If you go into the spiritual part of the person, then they, there's a difference whether he's in a body or not. Right? In fact, in some way, when he's not in a body, he's f- freer
1: to help you. Than okay, so the, now uh, I So the point of the story being that the, this rabbi didn't know what he was talking about and he didn't understand what a tzaddik is. He doesn't understand what
2: metaphysical
1: is. So I don't know what his concept of God is.
2: If God is not in a body, then he's not alive. So there's a fundamental misunderstanding here. So here's what it boils down to. In our perception of reality, we can see the physical. We can touch the physical. We can measure the physical. The, not the metaphysical, the non-physical, the immaterial, we can't see it, we can't touch it. And therefore, it's not real. The whole point of Judaism, the whole point of Torah, the revelation at Sinai, the whole business is to make the immaterial, the non-physical, more real than the physical. That, that's the whole plan from the beginning to end. Without that... This, this, there's no point in any of this. Anything. So the real question is let's start really at the beginning. How could the spiritual, not the spiritual, but the, the non
1: material, how could that be more real than the material? I mean, that's real. Yeah, it's true, it is real. And, and, and look, anybody religious or not who recognizes that there must be a metaphysical plane, Realizes that that plane is more real, but for us, it's not. And I think that's what is what is important is is that it has that that the if the spiritual is to be more real to us than the physical, then it's the spiritual's got to be really, really physical. It's got to be more physical than the physical, or more real, right? Yeah. And that's to be tangible, something that I can relate to objectively, but not through the senses.
2: See, there's our problem. If you want to perceive reality through the senses, the senses are very limited. Right. That's why we have the senses meaning, seeing, tasting, Mm -hmm. five senses. That's why we have intelligence. Real intelligence is necessary only when you're trying to understand something that your senses don't tell you. That's pure intelligence. Otherwise, we just learn from, you know, you bump into it, you know it's there. You don't need intelligence. But to be able to predict something that you've never seen and never measured and never, that's intelligence. So, the only way for for uh, reality to be perceived properly is by knowing. Trying to perceive reality through the senses is obviously... Wrong, obviously, because I mean, today I can sit here and say, "Wow, this is real. This is real." I mean, this is what happens if I have an emergency, a real emergency. This, all of a sudden, it's nothing, right? It gets in the way. So all of a sudden, my reality of this has has disappeared. This doesn't do me any good if, God forbid, my marriage is in
1: trouble. All right. So, what is real? So, circling back <clears throat> to the king in the field, for whatever reason, whoever brought out this martial art, I believe Yalta, uh, that's not the other, yeah. Yalta, so decided that to use a physical example, using the five senses, okay, a lot of them, there's this, this, the, uh, You're meeting him. You're seeing him. You're touching him. Smiling at you. Um, Why use such a physical example if really it's not about the physical five senses? You're
2: right. (laughs) You're right. In fact, the whole notion of a king, right? Today, (laughs) that's that's totally mysterious. What's a king?
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So it used to be a very physical example. Today, it's a little mystical, right? I think the best example we have of a king today is a dictator, and that's not what it means. The dictator does not come out to the field smiling at you. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's something in it for him. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, look, always, when we try to give an example for something, the example is always a little more physical, uh, a little more simplified, Oh, it wouldn't serve as an example. So, to give a spiritual example for a spiritual, well, it doesn't help much. So, we have to appreciate that an example is only that. It's only an
1: example. They're not the same thing. And what does that example teach us? An example of a king in the field. I have a special closeness that otherwise I wouldn't have the rest of the year. What does that practically teach us for my Avogadro on Rosh Hashanah and this coming of Kippur? Really practical? Yeah. Down to earth, down to earth. It's got to, it's got to be more tangible than the king in the field. Right. That's, that's
2: that's the trick. What it's basically saying is, you may not be so excited to see the king, but he wants to see you more than you want to see him. What does it mean the king comes out of the king? Just, just simple. Why does a king come out to a field? He should sit on his throne and be high and mighty. He's taking initiative. Why? That's, that's it. That's the whole thing. If you think that Rosh Hashanah is God sitting on his throne judging you, looking down his nose at you, uh, and probably going to find you guilty, and you got the wrong king. That's not, that's not what God is. So the whole idea of Elul, preparation for Rosh Hashanah, coronating God. Why do we do that? Because he asked. Tam Make me your king. Because uh, a king is, uh, is different from a Moshe, from a, a, a ruler. A ruler can rule with your will or against your will. A king is always
1: voluntary. You are knowing a king over yourself. So, what's a practical example? I get the, I kind of, I don't even want to say I get it, but I, so I kind of understand that that the example of the king of the field tells me that that Hashem really wants wants to have a relationship with me, um, and He's making taking the initiative to do it, and He really wants me to reciprocate. How? What should I, what, how do I go out into the field and meet him back in a way that's a real relationship, not in a way that's just reading the words and doing the actions? How do I smile back to, that, to the king in a way that he appreciates it and he realizes it? And, and, and perhaps I can feel a relationship that we're smiling at each other instead of feeling that I'm just saying words and they're going up and I, I don't know where they go once they go up. I, I have that problem, too. That sounds too spiritual. I and mean, we're not trying to be spiritual. What sounds spiritual? Saying words and they go right, yeah. And you know. Yeah, and a lot of—I mean, a, a lot of us are—we are, appreciate spirituality, but we're not necessarily spiritual seekers. Wish, we're people of this wish. earth, yeah. Sure. And so, how does a, a person like that relate to Russian Shana and Yim Kippur in a practical way? I mean, actual things that we're supposed to do differently. So imagine I
2: was talking to this teenager rebellious. I said, you know, what you're doing is really upsetting your parents. I said, but if you could do something to make your mother happy, why wouldn't you? She said, because it's not my thing. I do my thing. Why would I do my mother's thing? What's missing here? Now, something's wrong with that. It's not spiritual. It's not mystical. It's not There's something fundamentally wrong with that. We can call it narcissism. Nothing is real unless it relates to you. It's a tiny little world you live in. So the whole idea, even from childhood on, you, 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 you do something to make your mother happy. Now, does a mother really need the things she needs from her children? I would say yes. Right, but you can argue. Come on, she's all grown up. She's right. sexy, you know she's finished already. <laughs> Her life is done. What else? she doesn't need anything. On the contrary, no? as you get older, you care more. As you get older, everything about your child becomes more meaningful. So, <clears throat> thinking about God needing something from you, wanting the relationship. If you're indifferent to it, there's something missing. Hopefully, you just haven't really heard. You don't really know that God wants something. But if you know that he does, and you don't respond, there's something missing. But how should we be responding? How? how OK. The first thing is, we, got, we have to get his need um, Visual, kind of stand in front of our eyes, his need has to sound real to us. If you just say, Oh, God needs you to really need, he just, you know, then, then, then we're just playing games. The idea that the king comes out to the field took, took the whole idea a giant step forward. You can say, you know, the king is sitting on his throne and he's waiting for you and he wants you to come, and yeah, he wants, he waits. Does he really? And if I don't come, what is he going to? But he's coming out to the floor. It's a whole whole new dimension. It's It's not just a sentiment. He is coming, he's doing something to get to you. So, that, that you got to take that a little more seriously than some spiritual concept about God loving you. Yeah.
1: So, just to recap that part before we go on, the king in the field teaches us, and the lesson that we take from that is that God is, during these times, during these 10 days, more than any other time of the year, is coming forward to show you how much he needs this relationship. Yes. and what we're supposed to learn from that story is that if he is coming out and making these steps and showing us that he really wants to be in this relationship to the point of making himself vulnerable is unprotected that the least that we should be doing on Rosh Hashanah Kippur is recognizing, at least to recognize what's going on over here that there is a God and he wants a relationship that is the message of Rosh Hashanah. It's not to go there and ask for whatever we want and Hashem will give us whatever we want. But it's to recognize that He's out here trying to have a relationship. And in fact, if all we do on Rosh Hashanah is ask for what we want, we completely miss that whole point. Yes. That's not a relationship. No. It's an ATM. Yeah. yeah. I think mean, that's also a good thing. But here's,
2: here's another thing. What if it does register and you yes, God really does want. I'm not in the mood. So let's say you realize that he really wants, I mean, after all, he created the world. So he must want something. So today he wants it even more, he shows it more, whatever. But he really wants. And I'm uh, I get my own problems in the It bothers me. I feel bad. I know I should be responding. I'm not. I'm honest about it, but it bothers me. It's not right. Somebody reaches out to you, and you just blow them off. And then something's not right.
1: That is a powerful experience. Oh, the, the experience not of doing, but the experience of guilt? <laughs> not guilt. You can do anything wrong. Yeah, but you feel guilty that you're not reciprocating? It's in other words, the emptiness of not of not responding to the overture is at least is at least a part of the over. Or that's some kind of a relationship. Right.
2: I'm, I'm, not, I'm not running to, to, to embrace you, but I wish I did. Right. right. That's the
1: the seeds of something
2: positive, of something good.
1: So could you give us, especially coming up the inkipper? Um, a practical either meditation or action that would help take this idea from a place of guilt or from a place of just recognition to a place of action? How do I act on the idea? Okay, so to make the story complete, why would a king come out to the
2: field, to the people in the field? If he knew the people in the field were not interested, Will he still come out? Like, like a politician stumping for, for votes? The reason he comes out to the field is because he senses that you want. Some place deep down inside, you want to connect. But you're afraid or discouraged. So the, the, the lesson or of the, of the message is, the little bit of interest you have, everybody, you know, I wish I were a better person, I wish I were a better Jew. Someplace deep down inside, not enough to get me to start doing mitzvahs, not enough to get me even to go to to the synagogue. But when somebody walks past me on the street and says, Shana Tova, and I'm not in the synagogue, and I didn't go, someplace somewhere inside of me, I feel like, you know, I should should have. To God, that is so significant. You dismiss it. You say, I don't really want to go. To God, that means everything. So why does he come out to the field? Because he knows that somewhere a little bit of sensitivity, desire, connectedness, it's there. He just came to it to encourage you to take it seriously the way he does. So when a Jew has a little bit of a stirring, they're like, maybe I should. It's fantastic. Particularly after 2,000 years of Gullus, and 3,000 years since hearing from him, if there's even a little ember still burning, to God, that is magnificent. And we shouldn't dismiss
1: it. You saying not to dismiss just the 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 awareness of, perhaps I should be doing more. That itself, that awareness, that little fleeting moment where you feel, I could be doing more, is itself a valuable thing.
2: Incredibly valuable. It's it's bigger than nature. It defies all the laws. How could you still care after 3,000 years? And not good years. (laughs) So that's number one. Number two. If I were a king, and I take full responsibility for everything that happens in the country, the infrastructure, I'll build you bridges, I'll build you highways and roads, and I'll fix them, and I'll, and I'll make sure that the snow is removed so that you can travel. What a king needs to do. Incidentally, it's a lousy job. When we say God is our king, we're not complimentary. <laughs> we're giving a lot of work to do. That's a job description. We're marveling that he was even willing to do this because it's really beneath his dignity. But, okay, that's a different subject. So, if a king does all of that, what does he, he expect in return? That we should build him a bridge? That we should run his country? There's only one country. He's not asking that we be his king in return. All he's asking is to be accepted, appreciate what I'm so what is it we need to do on Rosh Hashem? Of course, it would be nice if you became more observant, start putting hamsuim. You don't put hamsuim on, on Rosh Hashem. So what is it? It's, can I get a reaction from you? That's all God is asking. Because a king needs to know that, that his subjects are, are cooperating, are in it with him. Like any giver, <laughs> a comedian. What does a comedian want from the audience? just wants them to laugh. Just, just to laugh when laugh <laughs> I make it funny. In fact, even if it's not that funny. That's right. That's right. That's just, right. right. just help me out of it. Right. Give <laughs> a you know, giggle even if you don't find it that funny. But you know, I'm trying. Right.
1: So I had the opposite of experience this Rosh Hashanah. The, the rabbi was telling a story and he didn't mean to say a joke. <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And that really confused him, so when he got to the punchline, nobody left. <laughs> but anytime somebody
2: initiates a relationship, what does he want? A response. Just, just take an interest. So, we talk about it in Hasidic language. And our Rosh Hashanah, you have kaboos. You put yourself aside, and you tell God that he's the boss, um, whatever he wants is fine with you. That, that's what he's asking. Tell me that. Tell me that you're you're in this relationship with me. Now that I've made the uh, the initial gesture,
1: but I'm trying to pull a really practical action. Um, is there some words that we could say that, not from the words of the sir or, or from the Mahsar, or perhaps yes, from the Mahsar that would be particularly important to to dwell on um and to meditate on when we dive in this yom kippur although yom kippur i'm not sure it's about the kingship anymore but but even taking the whole 10 days is there a particular uh, meditation or a particular action that i can do today that reciprocates this tangible action that will improve my not just my knowledge and my and my awareness but will actually improve my uh, my actual relationship that, that I'm contributing somehow.
2: Yom know, Kippur is a little different. We have Rosh Hashanah before Yom Kippur, which is kind of amazing. You start your new year clean, Perfection. fresh, <laughs> and then ten days later you go back and worry about what happened last year, and <laughs> try to clean it up. You shouldn't clean it up first. But that brings out the point, so, so powerfully. Before you say, I'm going to be more careful with kosher food, I'm going to be more careful not to work on Shabbos, I'm going to be more careful not to to lie, clean up my act. Why? When are you becoming so good all of a sudden? (laughs) I'm going to be good. Why? First, you have Rosh Hashanah, which means first you know who you're dealing with. Who is your king? If that becomes real, then it makes sense that you feel bad, that you didn't follow, you didn't cooperate, you didn't do the right thing for him. But if you don't know who it is, you're just you know, feeling guilty, oh, I did this, I did that, you're just wallowing. There's, you're
1: not going to go anywhere. So those people who show up once a year on your Kippur, they got it all wrong. They should have showed up on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> or at least I'm some <laughs> <laughs> Either before or after. So You don't even know who you're asking forgiveness from. I hopefully doesn't make sense. And why do you want his forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Forgive yourself. I guess you're
2: asking forgiveness and not coming in <laughs> <laughs> I'm <rough and> wrong <laughs> But again, the king is out in the field, so even if you didn't show up, he caught you in the field. Before and okay. Mm-hmm. Hello. So what can you do? Any mitzvah you do, and every Jew does mitzvahs, if you simply pay more attention to his investment in it, how much he needs it, instead of that you want to do it, or that you, it's not your thing, it's his thing. That's what he's asking. So do you do an extra mitzvah? Sure, that would be nice, if you're doing it for him. Or just do the as you're doing, only give him a thought, add him to the picture because it's more important to him than it is to me.
1: So you're saying, because whenever I think of Rosh Hashanah and new beginnings, I think of adding a mitzvah, doing something I haven't done before. And I think that you're proposing something a little bit different, which is don't do anything new yet. Just take what you've been doing with it and do it with a bit more intention. And we we're, we're we're working
2: on habit. Yeah. Every year we do this, and our, our parents did it. My grandparents did it. So they know who God is, and they know the relationship, and they're into the relationship. So what's going to be different this year? Oh, we'll do another minstrel. We can't take all of that for granted. That we know who we're who we're who we're worshiping, and we know who we we need to get closer to. Him. It's become become an empty shell. We need to revive that. Because that is the theme. Not how how observant can you get. But who's real? And that's why asking God for a successful year is the exact opposite of you're thinking about your needs. God is Asking you for something and you're thinking, what you need? You're not communicating. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, once you know God is our King, we are, we are devoted to His will, we put His will before our own because we're serving Him, etc., etc., then of course, you recognize that your successes come from Him. If you're going to make a living this year, it'll come from Him. Sure, of course, everything falls into place. But if you don't have him in place, an interesting thing. I was talking to a guy who was absolutely 100% ultra-orthodox, whatever that means. And I said to him, do you believe in God? He says, sure. So you believe that he runs the world? He says, yeah. I said, so does he run the world? He says, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? so you believe that he runs the world, but whether he does or not, how are you supposed to it? He says, yeah. I said, that's normative Judaism? He says, yeah. All we can do is our part. We can just believe. What is, how are we supposed to
1: it? No, (laughs) no. I was quite shocked. I sometimes have the opposite experience. I don't know if Hashem exists. I don't know. How could I know? But
2: I know he runs the world. (laughs) (laughs) in other words he's real whether you believe it or not but this guy was saying Yeah. I don't know if he's real but I will believe it because I do what I'm told I was told to believe, I believe and as we're parting, he says you know whatever the discussion but either way God should give you a good year I said you don't mean he'll give me a good year you mean you believe that he doesn't actually give me anything it's, it's very sad. And that can't be. There's no way that his child is going to continue on that path. So I ask one question, and it's all over. Does <laughs> God really know? I don't know. Well, you don't know, then I'm out of here. So the knowledge of God, which Rambam says is the most fundamental of all fundamentals, what are we doing about that? Who's teaching us Knowledge of God. We know all the commandments. We know all the details, all the rules, and what punishment comes for what sin. We don't know God. It's upside down. And the the conviction that you can't know God, where's that coming from? It comes from the overly emphasized reality of the physical. The more you think physical is real, the less you can make God real. So part of Rosh Hashanah is, you know that God created the world, this is the anniversary of creation, which means that a minute before, there was nothing. So that's real. What came before is real. The creation is manufactured. How do do we understand that and make it at least in our minds, concrete. What came before is
1: real. The product, man, it's just a product. Can you answer that question? How do we make it more concrete? What we just did. By rec- by having intention and recognizing that Hashem wants a relationship, so let me give a little bit more intention to the missus I'm already doing?
2: No.
1: By realizing that all the
2: concrete is manufactured. To some degree, that's what Rosh Hashanah is telling us. This is real? A couple of years ago, it didn't exist. So it's all in your head. Rosh Hashanah is all in your head. Yes. Yes, it's an orientation. Rosh Hashanah. It's the head of the year, and you're going to get your head on straight. And the head is what determines reality. Not your five senses. And today, it should be easier to understand. Every scientist will tell you that you have no idea what this is. You you look at it, you think it's a solid. It's not. It's, It's active, it's running around, it's unpredictable. So we know, even scientifically, that what our senses tell us is not real. Then what is and the scientist stops there and doesn't want to go any further. He doesn't want to know what is not. He can't deal with it. But, but it, it, logically we know what existed before is the real thing. What was created is just
1: created. So let's wrap this up. Because I, this, is a, this uh, conversation took a turn that I wasn't expecting last thing I expected to hear was that this was the meeting of Rosh Hashanah, but it, it really kind of does make sense. It's all in the name, Rosh Hashanah. Um, they, it's, Rosh Hashanah isn't just the head of the year. It's telling us that that during these 10 days that we have the crowns, the beginning of the year, it's a time for us. Of course, it's great to add mitzvahs, right? And if that's what you want to do, and that's like, do it. But the point of this time, the point of understanding that the King is in the field, the point of understanding of going to Shul and Rosh Hashanah, is to use our heads and to recognize and have an intelligent relationship with Hashem. That not only is that of course Hashem is coming out and He wants to have a relationship with us, but the mitzvahs that we're already doing. Let's not try to go too far on a horizontal plane and try to get more and more mitzvahs and more and more. Let's focus on the vertical. Let's take the mitzvahs we're already doing, take the prayers we're already doing, and go deeper into them and recognize, as we're saying the prayers, as we're doing the mitzvahs, that I'm not just doing this by rote because it's a mitzvah, and by doing a mitzvah, uh, you know, I'm doing uh, what I've always done. But rather, that by doing each mitzvah that I'm doing, recognize on Rosh Hashanah, and this is the point of Rosh Hashanah, recognize that each mitzvah that you do has a purpose in the relationship that you have with God. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about, using your head.
2: And as soon as you have a bit of that realization, the least you can do is a mitzvah. Right.
1: <laughs> a new mitzvah, old mitzvah. Well, even the old mitzvah will become a new mitzvah. Yeah. So that's I think. Good. I
2: think we. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we accomplished something today. Uh, we have a couple of days still left of the service to make sugar, so it's not too late, uh, which is good for me, because my Rosh Hashanah, I was trying the whole time figuring out, I'm a Jew. I am a good Jew. I have some questions. And, but a, that's what it is. Go and drill deeper. Drill a bit deeper and, and uh, try to figure it out. Now, young Kipper, we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you got something out of it. And remember, there's still a couple of days left for our service in and let's try to have a more meaningful and intelligent relationship with the show. Thank you very much, Rabbi
0: Friedman. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manis Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world.